McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Brobble. Now get a Big Mac or double cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. Partners of Transmedia Worldwide. This gentleman needs our help. YouTube has terminated his channel with over 200 videos. Lulu.com is ripping him off despite how many books... He sells. They refuse to pay him a dime. He needs your support. He needs to make this last project he's releasing through CD Baby become a success. They are okay, but they're not paying enough to advance his career. Which means he needs to promote, promote, promote. He's with us today. Right now, he's reaching out to givers and his lovers of great music and help him make his dream come through. Thanks in advance. Jalita. Check out dm2.gofund.me slash 2EFCM9MD. Let's tell you about that one more time. The letter D, the letter M, the number 2. Dot G-O-F-U-N-D dot M-E slash the number 2 the letter E, F, C, M, the number 9, M, G. Check it out today. And tell them, you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Coming up, we've got more. He would like to FaceTime. We're not FaceTiming. Hello? And there is Dr. Michael Boozler. How are you, sir? Uh, it's Michael Bustler, and I'm right here. I'm fine, thank you. Yes, indeed. We're going to be going on with you here in just a few moments. I've uh, got to get in touch here with our co-host, uh, the great Dan Perkins, and bring him into the mix here. And okay. uh, then we will uh, <clears throat> get off and running here. And uh, we have got Talk America Live today. Check us out online, Talk America Live. And uh, I believe Dan Perkins has joined us. Dan, how are you, my friend? I, uh, I'm fine. Fine, thank you. We've got uh, the good doctor with us today. And um, Dr. Michael, uh, you're a public policy analyst. You're an economics expert. Tell us a little bit about uh, the economic numbers, uh, the jobless numbers, everything, uh, and and how they attribute to what the president's doing. Yeah, so um, what the president has done uh, has really turned the economy around. Uh, Prior to President Trump getting into office, uh, the economy had not experienced a growth rate of 3% since 2005 and had not experienced a growth rate on an annual basis of 4% since the year 2000. So President Trump quickly recognized that the lack of growth is really what's hurting America and causing a lot of the economic and many of the social problems. So he took a look and said, well, what's holding up the economy? Why isn't the economy growing? He took a look and he found that the policies of the prior administration which were geared to curing perceived social injustices rather than concentrating on economic growth, 
we're really holding the economy back. For instance, uh, when President Obama got into office, uh, he said, look, it's a social injustice that everybody doesn't have health care. So he convinces Congress to pass the Affordable Care Act, which actually provided uh, health insurance for about 6% of the population. We had 85% with health insurance prior to Obamacare. When he left office, about 91% of the population. So he helped about 6% of the population. The problem was there were 21 new or increased taxes in the Affordable Care Act that reduced spendable income for consumers, tended to slow economic growth. Also in the Affordable Care Act, uh, every employer had to uh, provide health insurance for their employee employees or pay a $3,000 fine. That added to the cost of labor for business, tended to slow economic growth. President Obama also felt it was an injustice that big corporations and big banks were taking advantage of consumers. So he passed literally thousands of regulations designed, he felt, to protect consumers, but they added to the cost of doing business, tended to slow economic growth. President Obama also thought it was an injustice that CEOs, for instance, make so much more money than the average worker. So when the uh, Bush tax cuts, which were passed in 2001, were set to expire in 2011, he made the tax cut permanent for everybody except the highest income earners. For them, their taxes went up by 10%. That meant that the highest income earners had less capital to invest Since we have a capital-intensive economy with less capital, that tended to slow economic growth. He also convinced Congress uh, that big banks were taking advantage of consumers, making what he referred to as predatory uh, loans. So he got Congress to pass the Dodd-Frank bill that eliminated uh, predatory lending. The problem was it uh, eliminated a lot of other lending. And if banks are not lending money, There's no multiplying effect of monetary policy. That tended to slow economic growth. The bottom line was that everything uh, President Obama did to cure those perceived social injustices slowed economic growth, and President Obama was the only president in history to serve a term in office without having at least one year where economic growth for the year was at least 3%. So what did President Trump do? He got into office in January of 2017. In February and March, through executive orders, he reversed as many of the counterproductive and growth-stifling regulations that he could. By April of last year, the economy was growing at a 3% rate, which it's sustained since then. Uh, Then President Obama convinced Congress uh, last November to pass tax cuts for all Americans. That meant that the middle class had more money to spend. That increased demand in the economy, tended to increase growth. He also cut taxes for the highest income earners and, more importantly, for corporations. That created billions of dollars of new capital. Um, And um, when the capital spending started to filter through the economy, by April of this year, the economy was growing at a 4% annual rate. I believe 
in the current quarter, the third quarter, the um, first estimate will be out the end of October, 10 days before the election. And I believe that'll show that the third quarter growth was 4.5%. Um, President Trump modeled his tax cut after what President Reagan did in 81, 82, and actually what Kennedy Johnson did in 63, 64. After Reagan's tax cut went into effect in 1982, 1984, the economy grew at a 7.5% annual rate. So I believe that um, all of the good news we're hearing today is a result of the high-growth economy, which I believe will be sustainable for some time to come. Because if we have that high-growth economy, it will solve some of the underemployment problem. What is that? Well, I have, uh, for the last 10 years, all of my students have been graduating, and they're lucky to find one good opportunity because the economy wasn't growing. Many of them had to settle for jobs for which they were overqualified. That's underemployment. As a result of them taking jobs that you really didn't need a college degree for, there was no jobs available for people without college degrees. Five to six million of them simply dropped out of the workforce, became discouraged workers. So what's happening now with the high growth, which will continue, we'll see all these underemployed college graduates find jobs more suited to their qualifications. That will open up jobs for people without college degrees. All of these discouraged workers will come back into the market. And in fact, in the month of June, about 600,000 of these discouraged workers came back into the market. Um, that's going to end up um, fueling more economic growth. And I see nothing. Now, there's a lot of variables involved here, and it's not going to be a straight run up. But I essentially see good, solid growth well into the future. When Reagan did this in 1982, the economy went on about a 25-year growth spurt. Yeah, a little recession in 91, a little one in 2001, but essentially a 25-year uh, growth spurt. We could see um, I don't know if we'll be quite that good, but we could see long-term economic growth all as a result of what President Trump has done and his economic policy. Well, uh, Dan Perkins, uh, after after listening to this, I know you've got some questions for Dr. Michael. Yep. Well, uh, Doctor, I'm, uh, I've been an, a professional investor managing money for 45 years all over the world for my clients in private practice. Yep. And... Um, well, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think there's some things that the audience might appreciate of, from the standpoint of potential. Um, okay. We, we ran from the time prior to Ronald Reagan being elected president. When Jimmy Carter was president, we had a yeah. major Arab oil embargo, which caused gasoline yep. rationing and skyrocketing prices. And that happened because yep. the country never had an energy policy and was 65% dependent on foreign oil for sources of energy. We did not develop yes. our own domestic energy supply. What is clear that beyond the government, even during the Obama administration, the private sector on private land began to expand the energy production in the United States. And now we have a situation where under Carter and before, all the way until 2000 and I think 17, 16, December 16, uh, we yeah. were not permitted to export crude oil out of the United States. 
Now we're yeah. exporting 2 million barrels a day and growing. We will be, by the end of the year, the largest producer of crude oil in the world. And we're just getting started. Yep. We are going to take more and more market share away from OPEC. Uh, the sanctions against Iran will give us an opportunity. They're the third largest exporter of crude oil in the world and a principal supporter of crude oil to the Far East. And in that Far East is a country called China, which today depends on foreign imports, imports of energy for about 65% of its energy need. So we have a great opportunity to create a new paradigm of America being the exporting king of crude oil and natural gas to the rest of the world, especially to the Far East. Number two, the one thing that, and, and I, I'm going to give you, I'll be a little more aggressive in, in my forecast, which I've said on this show before. <laughs> I, I believe that by the end of the third quarter of 2019, GDP in this country will be running north of 6%. And I'm going to tell you why. Trade. <laughs> when you think about what, could, what is happening here, we have the president who has said, who said publicly that the trade tariffs, the trade negotiations, and the tariffs that are being charged was unfair to the American worker, to the American corporation. And so he started on this mission to renegotiate NAFTA and all these trade agreements. And what we have now is a pending agreement with Mexico, a pending a, a signed agreement with South Korea and Japan. We have yep. our close suit agreement with, with the European Union. All of these, yep. and Canada will eventually come because Trudeau is getting a lot of pressure to create a new NAFTA accord in his own country. All of those yep. countries working with us to eliminate tariffs is going to put enormous pressure on China to do the same thing. If you have a global economy that is tariff-free, the opportunity for American companies to compete on a global basis is enormous. That'll do two things. It will bring countries from other parts of the world, companies from other parts of the world, to want to be into the United States for several reasons. A dependable source of energy, land to expand their manufacturing capacity, and personnel. Now, I know that you mentioned, and I agree with you, there's a, uh, a growing shortage of personnel. However, you pointed out adeptly that about six million people who were out of the workforce are coming back in. I believe there's also going to be a new wave of worker, and that is people like myself who are over 65 who have retired and are looking at probably 20 to 30 years more life are looking for something to do. So you're going to see people who have retired come back, especially into small businesses, and help those businesses grow. They'll be working part-time, but they'll be contributing They'll be contributing intellectual property, their, the sweat brow, and taxes to the government treasury. So I think that we are, you're right. I, we had on Jim's show, oh, maybe a year ago, a futurist, and he talked about what he thought about if Donald Trump got elected. And he said, I believe we will see unprecedented growth for many decades if Donald Trump is elected president of the United States. And his prediction back then when Trump was simply a candidate is coming true. Um, we, yep. we built 
a, a huge negative psychology under Jimmy Carter. And I've said it, I write a lot of commentary for a lot of different news organizations all over the all over the world. And and I, I said at the time when when Donald Trump announced he was going to run for president, I watched him come down the escalator. I watched his first statement, and I said to my radio partner at the time, "He's going to win because his message resonates with the true mainstream American people." And that's what happened. And I think that he's going to continue to resonate. He's growing. For example, he went, he got elected with 8% of the black vote in this country. Most recent poll shows him at about 36% favorable rating in the black community. Yep. Labor, the head of the AFL-CIO said within the last 30 days, it's not beyond possibility of the AFL-CIO endorsing Donald Trump for re-election in 2020. And so there are things that are being yep. totally turned around and turned upside down. It's going to be an exciting time to be in America. Absolutely. I'll tell you, Dan, it is so refreshing to hear you say that. I agree with everything you say. Uh, frankly, I've been on a number of uh, uh, shows giving interviews. I think you're the first person I've come across who I share the ideas with completely. You're right. The turning <laughs> around awesome. of the uh, energy industry is a plus for us, and it leaves us um, not being vulnerable to any geopolitical whims. Um, the trade agreement, um, the trade situation, um, President Trump took a look, as you mentioned, at every one of the trade deals. Every one is lopsided in favor of our trading partner and to the detriment of the U.S. For instance, in the European Union, they make a car, sell it in the U.S., we charge a 2.5% tariff. We make a car, sell it in Europe, they charge us a 10% tariff. We make a car sell it in Japan and China, they charge a 25% tariff. We try to sell dairy products in, in Canada, and we're supposed to have NAFTA with no tariffs or, or very little. Um, we sell dairy products in Canada, they put a 270% tariff on our dairy products, closes us out of, out of all those markets. So what politicians have done, and uh, President Bush said he was going to address these trade uh, problems. President Obama said he was going to address the trade problems. They convened summits. They talked. They kicked the can down the road to the next guy. President Trump is not a politician. He's a business person. When a business right. person sees a problem, especially if it's going to affect your bottom line, you confront the problem immediately. If you have a trading partner that won't come to the table with you, what does a business person do? Create a sense of urgency. By putting on these tariffs, he's created a sense of urgency, and I agree with you completely. Mexico has already signed. Europe has committed to no uh, tariffs. Japan and South Korea have come to the table. Canada is negotiating. And because the, um, the uh, quote, trade war is hurting Japan, much, I mean China, much more than it's hurting us, within the next month or so, you'll see China come to the table, and by next year, I agree with you completely, uh, foreign markets will be open to U.S. manufacturers that literally haven't ever been open before. That, too, yeah. will add to growth in the economy, and Dan's a little more aggressive than I am, but I love it. Um, I think we're going to see long-term growth well into the future. Right. Let me, let me give you an example of, of uh, uh, what I've been saying 
on the the interviews uh, that I do on radio and television. And I, I I'm not trying to pry. Um, can I ask how old you are? Yes, I am. Yesterday was my birthday. As a matter of fact, I'm 69. Okay, I'm 73. When I was growing up in Columbus, Ohio, my grandfather lived two blocks away. And I was born in 1945. In the early 1950s, he had a gray two-door Dodge sedan. And he was a, he was a uh, builder. And he built two little stools that he put in behind his seat because there wasn't a back seat in this car. And he'd take myself yeah. and my younger sister down to the corner drugstore to get ice cream. And I remember to this day, 70 years later, my grandfather coming and we were going to get ice cream. And I can taste that ice cream, but hand-churned <laughs> vanilla ice cream. I can taste it today. And why I say that is that we have people in the United States today are getting the sweet taste of success. They've got a job that they can pay their bills. They can take care of their wife and children, buy a house, buy a car, and have pride. And that sweet taste of success will be very difficult for them to give up. When the Democrats yeah. say, I want to take back the tax cuts, and I want a bigger government, people who have tasted success are going to be very reluctant to give it up. I'll tell you, I agree I, completely. Yeah, America uh, yeah. hasn't really, America has forgotten what prosperity feels like because it's been right. so long, nearly two decades, since we've had true economic prosperity. They've really forgotten it. Now they're starting right. to taste it, exactly as you said, and it feels good. And you're right, they're yeah. going to be reluctant to give it up. In spite of what everybody says, I believe the Republicans will hang on to the House um, of Representatives in November, and I think they're going to add to their majority in the Senate, probably ending up with 57, 58, maybe as high as 60 senators, because the Democrats are running against everything Trump is for. Uh, they don't really have any concrete proposals. All they're uh, saying is not Trump. We're going to reverse everything Trump did, right. and you're right. People are going to say, "I don't want you to reverse this. This feels good." Right. Let me uh, let me tell you another story that I, uh, that I wrote this week. Um, about three weeks ago, um, the University of Oregon Beavers football team played the Ohio State University Buckeyes. I'm from Columbus, so it's the Ohio State University. Okay. And they they got they got beat they got beat terribly. And I and I in the piece that I wrote I said, Do you really think that the coach of the Beavers went into the locker room before the game and said to his players, We got this. We can beat these guys from Columbus. They're nothing. Or did he say to them, Here's the practical reality, gentlemen. We're playing against one of the best teams in the nation. They're bigger than us, they're faster than us, they're stronger than us. We're probably going to get our butts whipped, but make the most of it. Learn from it and go forward. And the reason why I give you that example is, can you imagine Nancy Pelosi going to the Democratic House caucus and say, guys, we're going to get our ass whipped in November. Do the best job you can. Can you imagine Chuck Schumer <laughs> going to the Senate committee and say, here's the reality, guys. We're going to get our ass whipped. We're going to lose more seats. We're going to be even smaller, 
No, they can't say that. So what do they do? They cre- create the famous blue wave. Yeah. And so they're going to sit there. And I wrote this. I wrote about this after Donald Trump won election in 2016. I said the problem with the Democrats is they were unwilling to accept reality. And it's happening again. And so what's going to happen, and I wrote this months and months ago, when we get to election night in November of 2018, the reporters are going to sit there, the mainstream media, and say, what happened to the wave? It was never there. It was the figment of the imagination of the leadership of the Democratic Party because they couldn't say to their followers, we're going to get our ass whipped. That's exactly right. You know, when they when they talk about this wave, I I, I also do some uh, opinion writing too. And um, I said all along, the only blue wave you're going to see is if you're standing on the beach staring at the ocean. Other than that, mm-hmm. there's no blue blue wave coming in November. Um, I think when uh, you know what uh, was said back in the in in the '90s uh, by James Car- Carvel, when voters get in there. I'm quoting, it's the economy, stupid. And that's what the primary consideration, I think, when uh, people decide on who to vote for, how am I doing economically? Am I better off now than I was before? And I think everybody's going to conclude, you know, we're a lot better off than uh, we were under Obama. And the last thing I want to do is stop this. So I'm putting in more Republicans so we can keep up with Trump's agenda and we can end up getting those high growth rates that we, we should be getting, and we, we will be able to bring America back to prosperity. The Democrats want to take us back to what President Obama had, where you start to uh, focus on curing those perceived social injustices, rather than, mm-hmm. at this point, we need to get the economy growing, get the economy strong. Once everybody's working and incomes are high and the government is spending less money and taking in more Revenue, we're in a much stronger position to tackle some of these social issues. Obama tried to tackle these social issues right at the bottom of a recession, and it just made everything worse. Yes. Um, If things go right for me, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, uh, I may have an opportunity to work in media for the Republican National Committee. And I want to tell you, I've written... I've, I've written two commercials for the Republican Party, which we're, we're pitching to them. Let me give you the second one. And if, if I had my druthers, I said I would like the president to record this message. And this is what it basically says. In November, when you go to the voting booth or you take out your paper ballot, before you pull the lever or before you check the block, ask yourself this one question. Are you better off today than you were two years ago? If you are, vote Republican. If you're not, vote for somebody else. Remember that the Republican Party stands for you. Perfect. I think that's perfect. And if people do that, uh, I think you're looking at a big red wave in November because there's so many people, the vast majority of the people are much better off today than they were two, two years ago. And more importantly, they see opportunity ahead. That was the problem during the Obama administration. The slow growth 
did not give opportunity to people. They were sort of stuck in where they, they were. Today, there are more people not afraid to quit jobs and change jobs. There are, as of June, there are more jobs open that are unemployed people. So there is plenty of opportunity for everybody. And when people uh, answer the question, I think it's a great question to ask. When people answer that question, they're, virtually all of them are going to have to vote Republican. Pull the lever. Pull the lever or check the bottom. And, you know, it, it's interesting if you, uh, Jim, do, how much time do we have this, this kind man? Uh, I, I believe we've got him for another uh, 10, 15 minutes here. Okay, okay. Because right. I, I don't, I don't want to hog the show with him. Um, but I, I look at what's going on around the country, and it, it's amazing to me that the Democrats uh, are going through a cleansing process of telling people who they really are. Yeah. Governor Cuomo in New York said, when response to uh, the question, that America was never great. Never great. <laughs> The, the, the governor of the that. state of New York said America never was great. That, was, that wasn't a stupid mistake. That's what he truly believed. Because there are yep. American Democrats who believe that America is evil, that it never was great. And if it was great, like Obama said, you didn't build it, the government did it. You didn't, you didn't make that company, you didn't start it from scratch. The government took care of it. The government provided it. And that the idea that America, there was no, quote, American exceptionalism. All of these things. So now we have, all of a sudden, Miss Cortez in New York, who wins primarily because the incumbent was so arrogant, he chose not to even campaign. And she spent like $15,000, and she won, she won the nomination for the Democratic Party. This right. is a socialist, quote, running under the banner of the Democratic Party. All of a sudden, we started to see more and more, quote, socialists coming out on the Democratic Party. We've got the guy who's running for governor in the state of Florida, where I live now, who is an avowed socialist who wants to make Medicare free for everybody in the state of Florida, free health insurance. Uh, free college, and you don't have to pay for anything. His ability to articulate, wow. however, how he's going to pay for it is about as good as Cortez's ability, how she's going to pay for free college, free health care, free Medicare for everybody, on and on and on. And so what we're seeing is now in, in Florida, this gentleman from Tallahassee, who has been in a very corrupt city and was the lead politi politician in this corrupt city. They, the poll says he's up by six points. He's up by six points. And yet if you look at the national polling data from people like Rasputin, which I follow extensively, yeah. social, the 53% of the Democrats do not want to be associated or change the name of the party to socialists. But they are trying to move further and further to the left, thinking that if they move further and further to the left, they will attract more people. They cannot fathom that moving further to the left and condemning America will bring them more votes. They don't understand because they're not in touch 
with the American people. You said a few moments ago about what the, the Democrats are running on and what the Republicans are running on. The, the Republicans are running on pro-jobs, pro-growth, the economy, more money for everybody, great opportunity in America. The Democrats are not running on a policy. The Democrats are running on impeach Trump. And it's not resonating right. with the voters. And as we get more focused towards the midterm elections, you're going to see a shift. I mean, think about this. When Donald Trump went to Detroit and he said to the black ministers, what have you got to lose to vote for me? He got the average Republican vote of about 8% of black people. Right now, his favorable rating in the black community is 36%. And I, I spoke this that. afternoon to a talk, talk show host in Chicago, black man, says it will go even higher by the midterms. And if the economy t- continues to grow and black people go back to work in bigger and bigger numbers, it'll be a huge number come the presidential election. So if labor is thinking about voting for Trump, the black people are going to think about voting for Trump. Who's left in the Democratic Party? That's right. Yeah, I think after this uh, election, the Democratic Party is going to have to take a good look in the mirror and see where where they want to go. Um, Moving towards socialism is un-American, and while it may appeal to the bottom 15% of income earners, it's not going to appeal to the rest of us who have to pay for it. As Margaret Thatcher famously said, socialism works until you run out of somebody else's money. And uh, right. people know that, and they know it's our money you're going you're gonna to run out of. Well, uh, I want to cover uh, one more topic here with Dr. Michael before we let him go. Um, you mentioned earlier okay. when you were talking to me and Dan about uh, NAFTA. Um, do you think that uh, the president will get rid of NAFTA or try to rewrite it? Uh, I, I want to touch base on that. Well, he's already come up with a new agreement with Mexico. Uh, Canada, as Dan mentioned, Canada is negotiating right now because Trudeau is under a lot of pressure. I think they're going to come up, uh, Canada is going to come to an agreement with us also. And I'd probably say within the next month or so, we'll have an agreement uh, with all three countries again. I don't, I don't think they'll call it NAFTA. President Trump doesn't like that name. But you will have a, a North America <clears throat> agreement. Even what he negotiated with um, Mexico uh, some of the language says uh, 75% of the cars have to be built from parts from North America. So it doesn't necessarily have to be Mexico. So he was uh, hoping, and I think he'll be right, that, Me- that Canada will come along, will end up with a, a very good trade agreement that is truly free trade, and it's fair, and it will be as close to no tariffs on anything as possible. Won't quite get there, but it will be close, certainly much closer and it'll put America on the same playing field as Canada and Mexico instead of the old NAFTA, where if you're playing a baseball game and we get three outs per inning, we gave Canada and Mexico four outs per inning. And as a result, we found we were losing every baseball game with them. So we will come up with an agreement, I think, with all three of us, and I think it's going to be beneficial to to everyone. Dan, uh, what what do you make of uh, the doctor's comments? I, I absolutely agree. I, I think I, I think it's very difficult. It's interesting to watch uh, because I'm a market guy. It's interesting to watch from day to day. Like today, 
the market was set a new high in the S&P and a new high in the Dow. And the reason why the, yeah. quote, the market people said is because the trade situation in China seems to have cooled a little bit. It's not as hot as it was. And, and, and again, the, what bothers me, doctor, about a lot of these people who write about this, they don't have any idea what the hell they're talking about. And <laughs> that's true. And and they have no experience in it. They 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 postulate about all the things that are going to happen. And and the and the practical reality. I I said this about about China. Right now, the trade deficit between China and the United States is about four hundred billion dollars. The total right. trade every year of the United yeah the total trade between. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.